seven o'clock. Do you know where your freedom is? tease my wife because there's a saying that uh it runs in her family that no one had ever heard before she started saying it around us and it's a saying it's uh it, i guess it's an older irish saying because i've only ever heard it one other person say it and i had to eat so much crow from my wife after he said it the saying is it's a horse apiece like you know no matter which direction you go it's about a horse apiece is what it'll cost you or something like that i guess is how it's supposed to be but the important part of this story though is no one believed her that that was a thing because just because her family said it and we all teased her we're like you know just because your family said some weird shit doesn't mean that it's you know accurate or right or anything like that it's just something that your family said and then we had this guy come into where i work um who's you know like this database consultant guy because we don't have anybody to do database management where i work it's just they can't afford it it's a small mom and pop shop and they've never needed it before but we've been growing and growing and growing and now we needed an advisor to help with that and that guy, his uh, his dad is from Ireland, and his dad said that saying all the time, apparently. Because when we were talking about something, I was like, well, you know, how do we, do we data crunch here or just let it be? Because are we really saving enough space or do we run the risk of damaging the data by compressing it? And he goes, yeah, either way, it's a horse apiece. And I literally was like, what the <laughs> fuck did you just say? Like, I just, I was so shocked. He's like, it's a horse apiece. I'm like. <laughs> he looked at me kind of shocked. You know, he's like, it's the horse of peace is all I said. I was like, holy shit. I was like, dude, I'm not mad. I'm so sorry that I swore at you. But my wife used to say that all the time and we teased her about it. And it was like some something we never heard before. And he's like, oh, yeah, my father said it all the time. He's from Ireland. And I'm like, God damn it. Now I have to eat crow. <laughs> but being the loving husband that I am, I made sure I told my wife she wasn't crazy. It, it was a gaslight leak. It wasn't on purpose. It's a saying that no one had ever heard before, so of course they're going to tease her about it, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a similar thing here. All of a sudden, a bunch of people I know just started talking about how everybody in the Midwest says OPE, like O-P-E. I've never heard that. Neither have I. And they're like, yes, you've heard it. And I was like, no, I haven't. I'm actually a fan of odd slang and like regional dialects. And if I had heard somebody say OPE, as in, I think, oops or excuse me or something like that is the best definition I can get out of them. It's 
sort of like an exclamation you make when you bump into somebody or you're surprised. I've heard oop. I've heard yeah. it pronounced oop, like as an oops, but a shortened oops, but I'm not oop or yeah. whatever you said. Oop. O-P-E. Yeah. And, I, and a bunch of people I know is like, yeah, you fucking, you've lived in the Midwest your entire life. I was like, actually, I've been all over the country. I've never fucking heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that some bullshit. Yeah, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll hear somebody say it all of a sudden. And the, the other closest thing I could think of is when I used to work at a country club, the golf pro was from New Zealand and his dad was from New Zealand and he worked in the men's locker room. And I used to have to go through the locker room to uh, take the laundry to laundry. And he used to always say, I haven't had this much fun since the wife got her tit caught in the ringer. But it's <laughs> in his accent, it's like, I haven't had this much fun since the wife got a tit caught in the ringer. And <laughs> I was just, I've also never heard that before, but he's the only person I've knowingly spoken to from New Zealand. Please tell me you're recording all of this. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Because this is super nerdy stuff, because I love this dialect and just weird sayings and just things that are, you know, certainly regional, you mm -hmm. know, that you, you never hear or even like a family thing. Because I'm fully willing to accept that someone in my wife's family had said it's a horse apiece. And then it just became a thing in their family that everybody just said it because, you know, you make shit up when you're around your friends and family and it becomes like a, a your own personal dialect. Mm -hmm. The way that you phrase things or the way that you react to things. It's just kind of a, a similar thing in how people interact. And, you know, it, even if that was just the case and her, her family made that up, that's what we were kind of tr trying to think. But it turns out it's actually an older saying than that, because there's some dude from Boston whose dad was fresh off the boat from Ireland, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who said the same thing. And I guess it was a saying in Britain, too. Like it was, you know, on both sides of the pond there. I don't know if it extended to Scotland because, you know, they don't want to do anything anybody else does except for <laughs> get drunk and cause riots. I'm talking to you, Duncan, because I know you probably listen to this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So should we probably get started or do you want to just, you know, bullshit more about dialect? <laughs> well, funnily enough, speaking of dialects, I watched this movie. Uh, welcome to another Psychosemantic podcast episode. Welcome back. The voice you all know and love on my show and on his two shows because uh obsessive cinema discourse just had a new episode drop not too long ago court psyops i wanted to do a ramones thing but matt fucked it up uh. <laughs> like you know nobody in the ramones is actually related and their real last name isn't actually ramones spoiler alert out there everybody <laughs> just like my real last name isn't psyops and matt's real last name isn't psyop hey you know my my name's not darren <laughs> you don't know yeah well if your name isn't what i think it is then it's probably for a different reason because i've always known you as that so <laughs> <laughs> i've been building this persona for a really long time i interacted with you on the otc uh message boards back when they used to do otc live even before you started doing a show yeah. i actually remember it <laughs> yeah the uh that was where we met i think it was during a halloween throwdown if i'm not mistaken um, I did hang out for a little bit during a Halloween throwdown, but I remember it being one of the live shows and it was when Bill was having a hard time getting people to show up. And it was like one of the one of the ones like um, about the year before he quit doing it, because I appeared on a couple of live shows with him and Matt not too long after I started the podcast. But I remember interacting with you shortly after I released our first music episode because somebody was asking me questions about it and you knew all the bands that i had on the first music episode <laughs> that's right 
You but I think a- you corrected me on one of them, and I'm like, who the fuck are you? Oh, wait, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, then we just started, uh, I guess you were listening to some of the same Legion podcasts that I started getting into at the same time, and that's kind of how we, we met up, because we were interacting a lot on those message boards, too. We message were? boards, how old do I sound? <laughs> Facebook groups. On the Facebook and then the Twitters. Well, old people use Facebook now, so it's age-appropriate for me to say message boards. Yeah, that's true. I asked my niece. She's uh, she's in high school. She's uh, going to be a freshman this year. I said, do you kids still use the Facebook? She said, <laughs> nope. We're on to uh, Snapchat. Snapchat is still the thing of the kids because it destroys the evidence. I thought, that was a, I thought that was a fucking dating app or some shit. I, I mean, it can be used that way. And a lot of people send dick pics that way from what I hear because <laughs> unless you take a screenshot, the picture disappears. But it sounds basically like the new generation's Facebook. People are getting followers. People are telling each other stories, but it takes a lot less attention. And then the stuff doesn't stay. It doesn't stick around, huh? They're streamlining. (laughs) I'll see if I can get someone to swipe right on me. That's the same app, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, but I know that's definitely uh, Tinder. Tinder's the swipe (laughs) left and right. But thank God I trapped my wife before I had to try to be good at internet dating. I don't think I would have done well. Shit, I was horrible at regular dating. I trapped my <laughs> wife before I had to do any actual serious dating. I was in the generation, and you're you're about my age. You're maybe a little bit younger than me, but like dating really wasn't a thing when I was a kid, at least in my hometown and where I grew up. It was like you hung out with people, and then you became boyfriend and girlfriend. Like You hung out as like a group, and then you just started like becoming steady. I don't know if that had anything to do with the AIDS epidemic and all we were all terrified from the American <laughs> education system, making us all concerned about, you know, what would happen with premarital sex. So we became the steady monogamy thing, or if it was just because it was, you know, a holdover from the traditional stuff where I grew up. I mean, there were some uh, like actual, like, you know, chaperone dating that still happened, <laughs> I guess, or where <laughs> like you, you didn't actually have additional, like actual dates with some of the, some of the girls that I knew. <laughs> so <laughs> That's growing up in the mountains in the Appalachia for you. You know, it. I, I'm sure it varies around. I, I don't think I ever really... I've, I've been a very casual person. Not slutty, but, you know... I was I, a filthy man whore before I met my <laughs> wife. I was uh, the oblivious guy. I didn't even know my wife was into me and, until after we were married. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> even now, we're not really 100% sure. Yeah, but, you know, like, I... Well, you you know, you play music. I started playing music when I was in junior high. And so anytime, you know, all the Friday nights, Saturday nights, whatever nights and parties, you know, I'd I'd play a show and I'd hang out with people. I'd end up with girlfriends. That's kind of how it ends up where you're just hanging around with a bunch of different people. And the next thing you know, you got somebody that wants to stake a claim. All right. So you introduced the show, but we didn't talk about the movie we're actually going to talk about. (laughs) Yes. uh, Let's see. Speaking of being trapped by others, District 9. (laughs) Um, your loose show format is wreaking hell with my ocd we've got the wonderful delectable delicious (laughs) mr court psyops back with us again it's been a few months a canister of alien juice sprayed me in the face and i'm not sure how things will be by the end of this recording What was the symbolism of that? That's what I want to know. Ah, there's so much. So yeah, we're doing District 9 by Neil Blomkamp or Camp. Is it Camp or Comp? I think it's Blomkamp. Yeah, or Blomkamp. I always say Blomkamp or 
or say it really fast, Bloom Camp, and just hope nobody notices I'm not getting it right. Klaatu, Mirada, <laughs> From South Africa, but living in Vancouver since uh, the 90s, presented by Peter Jackson and all that fat Lord of the Rings cash. The premiere was 2008, and it officially came out in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, there was a sneak preview at San Diego Comic-Con in 2008 uh, based off his short film, which I have not seen, called Alive in Joburg. Not seen it either. Actually, I wasn't aware of it until it got released on video. Um, I think we got it way, way back in the day. This is when you still got discs Mm. from Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you actually had physical media sent to you in the mail. In those paper Um, things all smeared with crud. Apparently they still do that. I don't know if anybody's aware of that or not, but apparently they actually still do that shit. Some of the things that they can't get for the streaming rights, you can still get on disc, though I know people that keep it just for that. I need to check that out because I have been having a hell of a time getting my hands on this film is not yet rated. You might be able to do it that way through the disc, like do like a trial membership of it again and then just drop it when you're done. I think so, because that's that's the last time I had it was a borrowed physical copy from them, and then I went to buy it. That was an IFC-backed film, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, that's probably why, and that stuff disappears. Uh, They did a documentary on martial arts films a while back. I think they called it Chopsaki Cinema, which is kind of racist assholes, but uh, anyway... (laughs) It's an excellent documentary, and it covers a lot of great martial arts films. I mean, granted, it is absent a lot of uh, cultural significant stuff, and it's mostly like, and then this made it to America, so that's why we care about it. But (laughs) it's a really great uh, primer for people that want to get into martial arts films and actually want to kind of follow the history of things and stuff. I found out about a lot of martial arts films I had no idea about or didn't catch on Kung Fu Theater as a kid from that documentary and that's kind of where my love of kung fu and martial arts films really developed from so and you can't get that anywhere is my point you can't get that shit anywhere now (laughs) well if you're listening and you can help out get a hold of one of us please (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm sure there's some uh more than legit less than legitimate means i should say that you could get a hold of that stuff somewhere i'll try i'll try the legitimate route first (laughs) that's not very punk rock of you i'm gonna have to ask you to take your mohawk back sir (laughs) oh no i did it right before the show even though this is an audio podcast (laughs) just doesn't feel right without it sticking up it didn't it didn't so i spiked my hair i put on my speaking of the ramones i'm wearing the totally unpredictable sleeveless ramon shirt (laughs) but to throw it off i'm not wearing any shoes (laughs) <laughs> you're like a hippie punk i'm a puppy or a, that, <laughs> that sounds better than a hunk because that that's too presumptuous but anyway <laughs> district nine yeah speaking of hunks uh yeah, speaking no, of that hunks, doesn't work christopher johnson the most normal name for an alien more normal than ford prefect should yeah. we just kind of get it out of the way here and just already admit that this movie is heavily influenced by alienation and just not talk about it again after that heavily influenced by that and Blomkamp also said that he was inspired by Cronenberg for the body horror oh yeah that's obvious too I think 
And he wanted, he said that this is, he did the comment. I did. Have you ever listened to the commentary for this, for this movie? No, I own the Blu-ray and I'm remiss. I've never listened to the commentary because I don't want to know how the sauce is made in this film. I just Mm want to like, I just want to just let the fantasy elements wash over me. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) He recorded it before the movie actually came out he recorded the commentary right after the premiere at san diego comic-con so that's the time frame from when he did that oh wow uh it's been a while since i've watched the commentary but yeah alienation for sure i mean he's from johannesburg uh, it's obviously inspired also by apartheid. Also- Wait, that's what the film's about? I thought it was just, you know, dealing with aliens. Oh, oh I see it now. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a warning for the future for uh, the Donald Trump administration locking people up in tent city camps and uh, taking their children away. <laughs> for breathing while being freaking refugees from somewhere. You're not tired, poor, or weary enough. You're not the right shade. You're not the right humanoid for us. So therefore you get put in these internment camps and then move to actual concentration camps. I'd been wanting to do this movie since uh, the show was started, but it kind of felt like now is a good time to have that conversation. Oh yeah. There's nothing more fitting than the current situation. I think than this film at all. And given my absolute expertise on all things South African, given that there's, no one more qualified to talk about anything South African than me. I think this is a perfect time to talk about this movie. <laughs> I think uh, my love of the film kind of extends from watching it solely based on just knowing that it was produced by Peter Jackson, or at least the release part of it was where, you know, maybe they threw some more money into it, get a little more CG and, and beef it up or whatever. I'm not sure how much Peter Jackson has to do with it. But his name was on it, and the premise of it, I'm like, that sounds like Alien Nation. I got to check this out. I was not prepared for how much this movie emotionally drains and wrecks me, because it does. Every time I watch it, it's so effective, and it pushes every last piece of empathy to the forefront a lot. And that's one of the things that Blumenkamp's films really do, is they try to really work on It's almost melodramatic, the way that he goes about it, and... It's a bit ham-fisted with his messages. This is probably the most, let's just say, subtle of all of them. <laughs> and it's really not that subtle at all. You know, like his metaphors are right out there in the right out there in your face, just kind of slapping you. But yeah, this one is definitely, like I said, his most subtle of his metaphors. And it's certainly, I mean, for a first time full film, you know, like a feature length film, I don't think you're going to get a stronger intro from a filmmaker than this. It's incredible what he was able to do with the limited amount of money and time that they obviously had to do it in. Yeah, I think the budget was around thirty million. Is Weta is that is that Peter Jackson's effects company? They are friends of his and they are affiliated with him and they kind of got all of their computer effects and all the stuff that they did because Peter Jackson was eyeballing making Lord of the Rings. And uh, his film The Frighteners was a test run or a run up doing those kind of effects and trying to get the cg stuff to work out and that's that's kind of where weta came in and i don't know if they're the same people that were working with peter jackson back when he was doing like dead alive and bad taste and all of those kind of films or if maybe it was like a friend of his that went off and started doing the special effects and then they just kept building up the company i don't really know exactly how far that goes or or you know how much they know each other but 
it's a separate company that was more or less started to be like a support system for Peter Jackson's filmmaking. <laughs> well, they were they worked on this. This was uh, right before. Was it was the Lord of the Rings stuff just wrapping up, or was this between two of the movies? I can't really remember during the release time, and I'm not gonna look it up because I'm lazy. I think it was just wrapping up because this came out. That that is the year that I met my wife, and she has seen all of the Lord of the Rings movies in the theaters, but I haven't seen any of them in the theater with her. <laughs> So they would have had to have been done maybe by a year or two. Yeah. That makes sense. But they waited so long releasing each of them, even though they were all pretty much shot back to back. It felt like there was like two years between each film. I think there was. It was a long time waiting, especially I remember everybody was pissed off at the ending of the first one. Like, <laughs> have you read the material, folks? People are dumb. <laughs> they're dangerous. They're panicky animals. And they're looking for any reason to exclude and eliminate anything that threatens their modicum of comfort, which is exactly why the aliens get treated the way that they do in this film. Yeah, you know, the aliens come to Earth. It's jo Johannesburg, South Africa, 1982. And 20 years later, they are still in, they're in District 9. Uh, what, what is it? United Medical conglomerates or whatever the fuck the 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 halliburton uh or mnu whatever that represents whatever that stands for is their mnu so some sort of I, medical united is the are the last two but i can't remember what uh let's say it's a medical national united why even look it up it doesn't yeah, matter fuck they it. might as well just be fucking evil corp from uh yeah <laughs> from mr robot you know yeah, Evil Corp is doing a land grab. Uh, this was one of the things that I... Those were real shanty towns in South Africa. And I don't know, the way it was described sort of reminded me of the way that Vickas and the other bureaucrats were telling everybody how it was going to work. Blomkamp said, you know, these this was a real shanty town outside town that I couldn't try to begin to pronounce. They came and they got the people and they moved them to another place and gave them bigger houses. Supposedly bigger houses are actually bigger houses. He says definitely bigger houses and he says they were made of better material, but I I don't know. It's it's it was one of the questionable descriptions of the movie. The one that stood out the most when I was watching the the commentary cuz I was looking for, you know, when you grow up, I had one storytelling of apartheid. You know, they didn't really address it that much in Lethal Weapon 2, <laughs> which was probably the first time I was made aware of the horribleness that it was. But yeah, but they play around with it and they don't actually say anything. It's just like these basically are, you know, the where the Nazis went after they lost World War Two is they all fled to South Africa and they began doing the exact same thing. But yeah. they got away with it for a hell of a lot longer because they weren't killing tons of people right out in the open. They found ways of doing it and hiding it and pretending like it was, well, we'll move them here. And then if they resist and they fight back, then we can kill them. They did shit like that. Universal government move number two or Probably maybe number one. I don't want to really fool myself, but <laughs> yeah, when you've got a populace that you don't want where they're at and you want to do a land grab in some way, shape or form, or your citizens are terrified of them because they don't like them coming in and threatening what they feel is their security. Even if you're the one that pushes that up, like Donald Trump is currently doing, the main way to help get rid of them is to create these internment camps or 
you know, these little slum areas that they're kept within and then move them to another location and you can definitely dwindle down the population because they're going to fight because you no matter how shitty your home is, it's still your home and you don't want to lose it <laughs> unless you are going to get a better one for sure. But even then, you don't really want to leave it. So people are going to resist or, you know, in this case, the aliens are going to resist and they're going to get a bunch of them killed. That was the whole plan. You could tell like all the soldiers were trigger happy just waiting to fire those white painted i think they were um tavor star gun which are a bull pop style <laughs> rifle and they just painted all of the all the sections of it white except for the barrel and the other things to kind of give it that standout look and that sort of futuristic sci-fi feel to it <laughs> yeah and they had the the mercenaries had those special vests with the black philip or whatever on him it's like was was that like to uh, oppress deliciously or something it's oh. now like to depression deliciously <laughs> i like it you ought to do some alternative photography for this episode with that <laughs> yeah they had all sorts of interesting that's one of the things that uh Blumenkamp does really well he does weaponry and tools of violence so amazingly it's just incredible what he comes up with. And this isn't even his best weaponry movie. This is just certainly like his, he was throwing everything at it, all of his ideas for alien tech and stuff. But uh, I think the best is Elysium has some of the coolest weaponry I've ever seen, like uh, full-fledged people in mech suits and stuff like that. And he even has, um, they're like little miniature nuclear bombs that are the size of a bullet that create these huge explosions to do damage to robot cops. It's incredible. <laughs> it's one of the most incredible scenes I've ever seen in that in that film, or in, well, in in a sci-fi film where there's like these little mini bullet missile things that they, they sure look like little like miniature nuclear warheads, but they basically get within range and then explode, so that the explosion is being propelled by the force of the bullet as it explodes at you. Oh, <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, it's so cool the way that he shot that. Yeah, he's a total sci-fi nerd from hearing him talk. So. Oh, and a total weapons nerd, too. I mean, like, his whole dream, from what I can tell, is he just wants to do a Halo movie, like, more than anything. <laughs> yes, yeah, because he said something about uh, Peter Jackson helped him pull this project together really quickly after Halo fell apart. Yeah, he's been trying to do it, like, ever since it was a thing, like, that you could do as a movie. Like, he's been trying to do Halo, and it keeps falling apart on him. He definitely talked like a... Uh, a weapon guy i remember he was he was going on and on about those uh special armored vehicles those were f real things from the 70s that uh south africa used in a border war i think i forget with which country but then uh they were brought back in in the 80s and 90s for urban pacification and shit and putting down protests and he was nitpicking He's like, uh, at the part. I think we we're going to definitely be bouncing around a little bit in here. But, you know, at the part where the Zimbabweans or the Nigerians shoot one of them with a rocket launcher. Yeah. He, he just got all up in arms with himself. And he said, now that this is some bullshit that wouldn't <laughs> do that. Those things are designed that they can run over a TQ 94 landmine. <laughs> And it'll just blow off the tires, and then you put new tires on it and keep going. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> you, if you don't know the name of a weapon, just say PQ-32 Space Modulator. <laughs> <laughs> P-32. PQ-32 Space Modulator. 
Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Well, he's being a little hard on himself because, you know, maybe those rockets were modified with some of the alien tech or something. Which is another thing, like, my issue with the film that I didn't get was, how did the humans not figure out how to take some of the mechanisms that make the weaponry and then make it to where they could fire it? Like, if the triggers are genetically encoded to fire it up, or are the weapons all powered by the aliens' bodies? Like, do they actually get fired up from the aliens' bodies and they pull life force out to work? <laughs> I don't know. It, you know, it's, it's like Thor's hammer, but then there's still people that can pick up Thor's hammer, right? You have to be worthy. There's a difference. This oh. is like, this is almost like a genetic encoding where you have to be their people to be able to use the weapons. Don't get me wrong. I think it's beautiful. I, I think it actually should be genetically encoded to the specific owner of the weapon, and that's it. Like, only they can use it kind of <laughs> the thing. The ultimate gun lock. Yeah, the ultimate gun lock. I mean, even if it's like a fucking thumbprint thing like you got in uh, Shoot 'em Up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, something like that, but... I just didn't understand how it had to be the alien DNA, but they couldn't figure out a way to dismantle the guns and then reuse the tech unless it was the alien's DNA in some way, shape or form is what's powering this. Because I mean, well, let's kind of talk about it. They're looking for Christopher. Is it Jones? Is his full name? Christopher I, I, Jones? I think or? it's Christopher Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Christopher Johnson. We'll, we'll just stick with that. That works for me. Because again, I'm not looking anything up on IMDb. Uh, <laughs> this is not my show. I'm not going super professional on this. I'm just talking about it like a fan. Hell yeah. Uh, but, uh, Christopher Johnson is, when we first meet him, the very first thing that, and I'm thinking it's a him because his name is Christopher, but I don't want to just assume his gender. Is that, Are drones male or are they sexless? I don't know that much about uh, insects. Insects? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really hard to tell. I don't know if maybe he was like a, a, a father for this, or if this was just a baby that survived and he felt responsible for it. And even if it's insectoid, doesn't mean that it works like our insects do. Cause you know, that's just <laughs> how we would wrap our head around it. But anyway, we'll just assume, even though I apologize to Christopher Johnson, if a Johnson really isn't his last name and B he's not really a, he, <laughs> well, we can just say they, yeah. But, uh, Christopher Johnson is with their child yep. and, uh, called CJ. Their, yeah, their friend, and he does say, or they do say son for the child, so I'm going to assume his gender there because he's already been identified as a son. But Christopher Johnson is there rummaging through a scrap pile, and they're looking for tech, but they're looking specifically for anything that fell off their ship or anything that was powered by a specific type of fluid that is from their tech. And that particular fluid that they end up distilling down has genetic markers to it, and is powered in some way, shape, or form, or used to power their ship and also their weaponry. So let's just assume that this has something to do with their genetic markers, because whenever Vickis gets sprayed with the stuff from him playing around with the cylinder after they distill it, it starts transforming him into one of them. Yes. So I wonder if it's not just a genetical thing. I wonder if it actually, you know, like in some way, shape, or form pulls blood or something else out that it runs to power it in some way kind of like uh, a radio powered by a potato <laughs> you know or or like uh you know like we would use a mechanical generating by turning a crank or you you know have a you know for a little like radio or like our solar power or something like it takes some type of life essence from them and all of their technology is based on this in some way shape or form where it's like fully 100 percent biotech 
and therefore humans and all of their, you know, any other species of alien that they would encounter on their journeys couldn't use any of their stuff against them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like the it. only only explanation I can think of because it's like that fuel clearly makes Vicus into one of them. So perhaps that's why we can't use their stuff is because it is literally built around their technology is built around their life essence or like what makes them them. And it not only powers their stuff, but it, it you know, powers them. Maybe it's like a symbiotic thing and maybe it like extends their lives or something along those lines. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's as good a theory as any. <laughs> Better because, than most. <laughs> yeah, because there's no explanation in the actual film. You just have to pretty much be like, yes, what he said. My mind is aglow with whirling transient nodes of thought careening through a cosmic vapor of invention. Ditto. Ditto. Ditto, you provincial putz. <laughs> I mean, why else would this stuff turn a human being into one of them? And are they all some other species that's been mutated by this fluid? Because they're all like a worker class. None of them actually have any leaders or anything like that. That's one of the things they say in the film. So perhaps they're almost like a slave class to begin with anyway, that lost their masters, just like an alien nation. But perhaps <laughs> they're, you know, perhaps they're like terraformed almost like where entire planets are turned into these race of beings you know these aliens specifically to become workers for another uh, another bit of alien or whatever and it they can basically be made out of anybody yeah like refugee space vampires without a queen maybe i was thinking more like uh did you ever watch the tv show dark skies that was on tnt are you aware of that Uh, i'm aware of it but i didn't watch it oh well that's kind of uh it's a alien force comes to earth to conquer it and enslave the people and they're doing the exact same thing where they use this special process where they put these uh, biotech harnesses on your spine to be able to control you and turn you into a worker for them. But what ends up happening is it mutates you slowly over time into a specific type of alien being that is like this with a harness that it's like a specifically genetically engineered and it'll work on any race of being, you know, any, any type of alien, they can turn you into this other thing. But depending upon where or what type of alien you are or, you know, being you are before this harness gets put on you, you end up becoming something different or you get different abilities, you know, like it enhances what you have and it builds off of that, but it still turns you into this other thing that they can control and, you know, be subjected to their will. Something kind of similar to that. And I wonder if that might be what's going on here. Cause it's kind of similar in alienation, as I was mentioning earlier (laughs) with that, you know, like they're not really, genetically engineered but they were specifically bred to be the type of people that they are you know to adapt and improvise and you know learn specific functions very quickly and just basically be like this worker class and you get the feeling that all of these aliens are the same in you know are very similar to that in uh district nine yeah they're all obsessed with cat food (laughs) didn't they say that cat food is like catnip for the aliens or something like that like it's addictive to them yeah, yeah, they, they go batshit for it. And they're selling all their shit. They're selling all their weapons. Theoretically, they know that the warlord won't really be able to use it, even though he... What did they call that? Muti? Is that the, the South African voodoo? Where? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know just enough about voodoo to be offensive, so I'm not going to comment. <laughs> I recently did uh, Serpent in the Rainbow with Duncan McLeish over on uh, Podcast Under the Stairs. So I've had voodoo on the mind 
And <laughs> that's the sort of what got me thinking about, a little bit about this, because I remembered that the Warlord uh, tried to absorb the alien's power, or at least their ability, by consuming parts of parts of the aliens. Like, <laughs> when that poor guy sells the mech warrior of foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, I didn't get to make... I didn't get to make Halo, goddammit, but we're going to have an awesome mech anyway kind of part of the film. Yeah, it cuts to the this movie also. If you have, I hope you've seen this movie if you're listening to this show because we always spoil everything and I never warn anybody. <laughs> well, they should know that when they go in to listen to a podcast talking about a movie that things are going to get spoiled. I mean, come on. <laughs> Your own yeah. goddamn fault. Blomkamp said that in uh, in South Africa, it's called traditional medicine because it's been around longer than regular medicine that's not <laughs> he he was a rambler i'll tell you that he uh... <laughs> man after your own heart darren yep yep exactly the the half sheep heads that you could get uh you can get that for real it's called a smiley but anyway this whole thing focuses to a bunch of different people are trying to figure out how to use the aliens best most valuable assets against them yeah their technology is amazing and it's almost like second nature for them they seem like they all know how to use it or at least be able to work on it at least in this case it's christopher johnson and even his kid who's like super super just like this little toddler is just this amazing like techie who can do all this crazy stuff and even adapt our technology and you would kind of assume that given the advanced level of all of their technology and how it's ingrained in their DNA to work with it, that in some way, shape, or form, it should all be ingrained in their DNA that they will be able to build this stuff or at least know how to fix it. Because there's scenes where he just looks at junk and goes, oh, I'm going to build a bomb out of this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Or he just grabs a bunch of parts and just throws it together like a technopath in a comic book or something. <laughs> oh, when they're making the great escape. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about. Like, it's just incredible the stuff that they're able to pull off like that. I don't know. There's so many cool things about this movie, and so so much. Like, speaking of the Cronenberg influence, after Vickers gets sprayed, what? It's the slow deterioration of the body. The black stuff starts coming out of his nose when he's eating his fish and chips. And Wait, then... that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to just start oozing black stuff out of orifices. Well, it depends on how old the tartar sauce is. <laughs> fair enough <laughs> and yeah the the transformation from he was a dick he was a bureaucratic racist dick and one of the through lines of this story is his it, he's very self-important for no reason you know he's a low-level bureaucrat who only has his job because he married the boss's daughter well, I think that's what gave him the self-important thing is he's married to the boss's daughter. So he he has that built-in privilege. Kind of like, you know, being the president's son or son-in-law. All of a sudden you feel like you have this built-in privilege. I'm smart. <laughs> I can do it, Dad. I'm smart. <laughs> oh, Donald Trump Jr. killed the word lit this week, if you aren't aware. <laughs> There's other words that are much worse that we could have lost, though. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know anybody that's that big of a fan of lit that they're going to mourn its loss, but it'll come back. Somebody's bound to appropriate it back and get it out of the hands of idiots like him. If only it had the DNA recognition technology like <laughs> Christopher Johnson's. <laughs> like the alien tech does in this movie? Yes. Is there a point in the movie 
when you think that Vicus has redeemed himself or is he just trying is he does he just break even I would say that his final selfless act is about as close as he's going to get and if someone wants to argue to me that at the very end when he saves the Christopher Johnson and his child to go into the spaceship and go get help for his people and he basically is saving these folks that are being tormented and tortured and moved to another camp location and you know put into concentration camps and being racially segregated and all of that kind of stuff kind of undoing like you know all of the work that he's done whenever the three-year mark ends up hitting and i always assumed that he was never going to get cured and the three-year thing was a lie that the guy told him at first just to try and get away and then he i always thought that there was a scene where he copped to it where he's like i'm not going to be able to cure you there's no cure. I, I, you know, I lied. I just needed to do this because I needed to save my people. And when I thought that was the case, I always thought, well, he's one of them now. So now he's just once again, saving his own skin. You know, he's not really any better off than what he was. But now that I watched it again, this time for the, for the show, I'm like, wait a minute, that conversation didn't exist. It, I didn't see it this time around. So I'm like, did I make that up? Is that me putting my own story into this film? Like, I don't remember them actually having that conversation the whole time. He says, I can fix you, but it'll be three years. You know, like he can always come back from this, but it's going to take him three years and he's got to go to travel to the other planet to save his people. So if that's the case, if, if he does that and it's not because he's going to be one of them, you know, either way, like he just has to wait three years once the guy gets away and he can fix him. Um, does that really redeem him? Does it really make him a hero? Like the closest he gets is saving them. <laughs> you know, it's the only time he was willing to almost die to save another life, particularly of this race of beings that he's, you know, prejudiced against and hates for no reason. Well, that he does swear to Christopher that he didn't know that they were doing the Dr. Mengele slash. I don't even know what the American program was called slash unit seven. MK Ultra. Yeah. You know, he didn't know that they were doing that. The project paperclip stuff, but I don't know. I think he could have known. Um, um, I, I think that was a pretty dark secret because that was one of the things that even though they weren't hiding it, that um, they were kind of hiding it. They were doing it like a normal evil corp would do where <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's a well-known secret for all the people that are higher up because this is how they're going to make money from these alien beings but they don't really talk about it because he seemed legitimately upset and disgusted when they were testing the guns on him and he was being a test subject that but when true. they finally make him just straight up murder one for no reason other than to test it that's when you kind of realize that maybe he's seen the error of his ways and he realizes how evil this place is and still after that because yeah so he basically deteriorates and then he turns uh, he's got the hand he's got the I don't like calling them prawns because that's the racist term for them. No, actually, I would feel much more comfortable if we just refer to them as the beings or aliens. The aliens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he's got the alien hand. And the doctor, who I'm pretty sure is a company man, it's like, oh, I, I really thought that when he puts the mask over his face and he says, breathe deep, that he was knocking him out. But, you know, why knock somebody out when you can just have mercenaries come through and wrap them up in duct tape and throw them in a body bag and take them into the, <laughs> the, the extra secret hospital space after he escapes. And after uh, he and Christopher Johnson have their conversation where I agree with you this, uh, my first rewatch for the show, I remember thinking 
is he lying to him? But I, I don't think I ever thought that he said it. I don't, I don't have a memory of him having said it before. Yeah, I had this whole thing in my head for like the longest time where I remember them having that conversation because like I thought it was like right after they go right like right before they go to get the facility for him to you know get in there or once they were in the facility I thought they had that conversation and I thought it was because once Christopher George sees the Mangala MK Ultra style horrific you know or even uh, men behind the sun to quote the movie about the Japanese atrocities towards the Chinese like any of any of those kinds of experiments that's being done on these alien beings once Christopher George bears witness to these atrocities against his people, his whole demeanor changes and it feels like he's almost going to be honest with him. And that would be the spot that he would tell him. And I remember backing that up this time around and just checking and be like, no, I, I missed it or it's not in this section. But this feels like a place that, you know, he would his guard would be down and would be the most uh, open to be honest about what's going on because he's like, this is horrific. And, you know, he would be too much in shock to even try and keep up or maybe just that little added bit of cruelty where it's like, you're fucked no matter what, you know, kind of thing. I had to do what I had to do. Well, yeah. And I would say that Christopher George's lie about not being able to cure him is, you know, or, you know, lying that I can cure you if we get this fluid stuff and I can get to my ship. I would say that his lie is significantly less horrific than any of the other lies that were being told by Vickis to Johnson just to keep him going. There's several times where he has the opportunity to do the right thing and he never does it. Until he finally gets to the point where, you know, this being that he's become sort of friended by and the being that has Christopher Johnson, who has no reason at all to care about him or even help him, you know, does all this time. And then finally, whenever that being is about to be mercilessly killed for no reason, he turns around when he's bulletproof and indestructible and has this unbelievable thing to defend himself. I don't think if he was in that mech, he would do shit. I think he would just continue to run because he's a horrible coward. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he was halfway through running away then when yeah, <laughs> even with all that shit on him, he was running away like a coward. I also wanted to say, too, I understand why the humans in this movie are terrified by what these aliens are capable of, given their technology and the fact that they're kind of shiftless and they are destructing things for fun. Like they would blow up a train and not realize why it was so horrible for them to blow up a train because they've had all this power and they have all this stuff and they're able to do it and they don't get that humans get attached to property like that i guess you know there's there's talks about the things that they've done that are terrifying to human beings and that they're living too close to them but also are they shiftless because they weren't given anything and they weren't really integrated into human society or you know is it just a natural thing for them are they destructive because they don't seem like they have any hope in their trap there and you know might as well just blow shit up because whatever or, you know, and haven't been integrated in society, or are they naturally this destructive? You know, you don't know that at first. You kind of understand sort of what's going on here, but the humans could have done a much better job to work with them. Imagine just getting a few aliens on your side and getting them to work with you to use the tech to better humanity and not necessarily get the weapons, but, you know, the interstellar travel or even help them repair their ship in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So that you, you know, if they decide to leave, sure. But if not, maybe they can move the ship to another part that they could live on where people are away from if we really have to live separately. Or why not try to integrate with them, you know, in some way, shape or form and get that, get that society going. Kind of like what Alien Nation did. I mean, it seemed like Alien Nation was relatively on the verge of working out as the movie was starting up. I mean, there was obviously 
xenophobic racist that hated the aliens like in that film but the reactions that they had there were much better and i think it worked out much better for humans by reacting that way it wouldn't be an allegory for apartheid if that's how it ended up well right alienation <laughs> took place in uh the north where the racism is mild and uh district nine took place in south africa known for gold and uh genocide that's why i want to go to south africa to join up with my oppressed brothers to take up the struggle against the tyranny of the racist fascist white minority regime fascist white regime one man one vote one man one vote free south africa you dumb son of a bitch you dumb son of a bitch look, i've heard just about as much as i want to hey, i'm gonna ask both hey, 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 just look here I think the majority of Earth's gold comes from South Africa. So yeah, known for gold and apartheid and villains in Lethal Weapon 2. Do diamonds come from there too? Isn't that where uh, conflict diamonds are all from that region too? I think that that uh, makes me think more about uh, like Sierra Leone. Because I think that is one of the things that happened after apartheid and that's what the the mercenaries in this movie were based off of was that the when the government when the new government came in there were a bunch of pre-apartheid south african special ops army rangers that started becoming mercenaries and one of the things that blomkamp said was that south africa sort of started the model for the Blackwater type mercenary groups, the for hire paramilitary, ex-military, being from America, I think of Blackwater and all the crazy shit that they've done in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. You know, contracted out from Halliburton, which was probably the plan all along. Yeah, it's all a grift, man. It's, I mean, they're, they are evil fuckers, but that's just a thing they don't even think about in the quest for all the many. It's kind of incredible that South Africa, or actually, let's just say Africa was the cradle of life. That's, you know, it's been proven scientifically that that's where humanity started was there. And we just kind of, you know, nomaded our ways out from there. All the other places that we've settled as humans, you know, and Cro-Magnons and everything else, all of our ancestors came from there. And it's amazing that all of our ways of destroying ourselves kind of come from there, too, <laughs> at least in the modern era. <laughs> it's, it's the circle of death. Death. <laughs> yeah but oh we kid we kid but if you don't laugh you cry yeah especially when we're talking subjects like this like i'm i'm actually amazed that i'm holding it together as well as i am because by the time we get to the parts that we've already discussed in the film when i'm actually watching the movie i'm weeping like a child i just i can't take it <laughs> like this is not a film i enjoy watching but it's such a good film and it's so moving it is so good and I've been a bit of an emotional person since the election, I, I guess I would say, to put it mildly. And this was actually the first time that I watched it since I had a kid. Oh, Jesus, I bet that made it worse. Yeah, go, oh, you motherfuckers. It's good sometimes to find out you're not totally dead inside, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm vulnerable and I need orange juice. <laughs> yeah, for me... The first time I watched this, it didn't really affect me as much as what it does now. I've been kind of on a bit of a journey emotionally. You know, the older I get, the more I kind of realize that I've lacked empathy for way too much in my life. And I'm trying to make up for that. And uh, watching the movie now where I'm 
basically open and allowing myself to feel things was not fun. Like I really was, I was wrecked by the end of it. I just felt terrible and I had to watch it in shifts. Like I couldn't finish it because when I started it last night before I did the movie, I got about halfway through it and I got to the point where he had just escaped and he had got out and he was on his way to the internment camp slash district nine. And I was like, okay, this is a good spot for a break because emotionally it's just going to get worse from here. And then I finished it later today before we recorded just because I needed to do it in shifts. And that's kind of got me through it. But I, I think of all of Blumenkamp's films, this one probably affects me the most. I think it is the most effective in all definitions of the word effective. It's the most effective of all of his films. I guess you could probably accuse him of being more style over substance with his his emphasis delivery of a lot of the stuff that he does. But I also kind of feel like if he had someone else that was helping him with writing the stuff, and he just focused in on the visuals and the direction more, he would probably be an unstoppable force more than anything else. Because his ideas work great for short films and like his short films that he's been doing since, a lot of the other projects didn't work out are incredible. Like I think it's Firebase or something like that, where it's like a thing-like monster that attacks a military base. I don't know if you've seen that. That was making the circuit on social media quite a bit. No, I'll have to look it up. That sounds oh, right my, up my street. Yeah, it's fucking insane. Like it's really, really good, but he has enough story in him to carry a short film, but the problem is, is most of his films end up being like an hour and 40 minutes to two hours, and if he doesn't have somebody else kind of helping him along with the story, he ends up with a bit of a mess, and it's real ham-fisted the way that he does it, and he needs someone to help him dial in the subtlety a little bit, you know? Because <laughs> um, it, it's definitely gotten worse. Like, there's some parts of Chappie that are just kind of like real groaner, moments and it has a lot to do with the Diatwood people I, I really did hope, wish that he wouldn't have hired them to be in that film they ruin it and I think even he admits it that they've ruined it <laughs> I have to put everything about South Africa in my movies well I get that I mean like who else how else are you going to see things and you know be made aware of the things that people are going through in that nation without art and film and being told because it's it's ignored i mean our news doesn't give a shit what's going on there and most people i mean for fuck's sakes most people had no clue what was going on in rwanda until don Cheadle made hotel rwanda you know <laughs> no fucking clue you know i won't i won't call out the person that i watched it with that had no clue of what was happening at that time until that movie came out you know but when i watched it with them and they were like oh my god that's horrible i'm like yeah that really happened by the way you know, <laughs> it was like, I was like, and it's pretty shameful that you weren't even like, you know, just on the periphery, at least so, somewhat aware that that actually was happening because we didn't do anything about it for being the world's peacekeepers. We just let it happen because oddly enough, it seems like the U.S. just doesn't care whenever non-white people are getting slaughtered. Well, yeah, like uh, Eddie Izzard has a bit about that, right? He was a mass murdering fuckhead, as many uh, important historians have said. And... Um... <laughs> But the other mass murderers got away with it. Stalin killed many millions, died in his bed. Well done there. <laughs> Pol Pot killed 1.7 million Cambodians, died under house arrest, age 72. Well done indeed. <laughs> and the reason we let it, them get away with it is because they killed their own people. And we're sort of fine with that. <laughs> oh, help yourself, you know. <laughs> We've been trying to kill you for ages, so you kill your own people. Right on that. Seems to be. Hitler killed people next door. Oh, stupid man. <laughs> After a couple of years, we won't stand for that, will we? 
I love Eddie Izzard. He's he's brilliant. Do you have a flag? <laughs> you should just punch that Eddie Izzard bit in instead of us talking about how awesome it is. I think that has to be done, and I'm glad we said it out loud because I'll remember better, especially if I edit while high. Wait, I can't be a part of this. If you if you do drugs, I can't be a part of this. This never leaves the internet. It's cat food. Unless... <laughs> yeah, unless you have a tin or two of cat food, and then, you know, all bets are off <laughs> for your editing. It's the only reason I got a cat. <laughs> I just oh. thought it was because you and your wife like to rescue animals. That, too. That, too. I... She is a hunting machine. Uh, she has brought me an animal a day for the last week and a half. I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I am not wasting away. I, you know why they do that? I read a, I read a study about that. I'm a, I'm a cat person. I might as well just fucking admit it. I am, <laughs> I, I'm gonna die probably alone with like surrounded by a million cats because eventually my wife will get sick of me and leave me, and it'll just be me and cats. Cat psyops. <laughs> cat psyops. Yeah. Um, the psyops cat. <laughs> the psyops home for wayward cats or whatever <laughs> i read a study about that the reason that cats continue to bring food is because they think you stuck at being a cat like they think you're a cat too uh, and they, I, they haven't seen me hunt yeah and they think you stuck at being a cat so they're trying to take care of you they're like look i kind of like you and i don't want you to die so here here's something to eat they're really smart and they'll figure it out where they're like you know they want to bring you presents or they want to bring you stuff or they want to find a way to interact with you and if you don't you know eat the things that they bring you but you react to other things that they bring you like there was a lady that trained her cat to stop bringing dead rats or you know dead mice or dead rabbits or whatever to her any of them got the sand of the dead rabbits you don't say that name they've been outlawed by like really freaking out the one time it brought a leaf and being like really happy about it and then it started bringing her pretty leaves and flowers and things <laughs> yeah <That's nice. laughs> they're a hell of a lot smarter than people give them credit for they really are but speaking of cat food district nine <laughs> <laughs> uh i think this might be a good spot right now to take a little break play a promo for at least one of court's rad ass shows and come back to the second and or final section of the show right after this did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. 
Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult physician before listening. with cat psyops and <laughs> cat talk wait does that mean that i need to be like uh singing cats in the cradle or something <laughs> or or any song by cat stevens or Yus- yusuf Mon- what is his new name i don't know i just knew him as cat stevens yeah. <laughs> and i only something. i only knew that one song cats in the cradle <laughs> and i only know that because the sacred reich or whatever the fuck their name was did a cover of it <laughs> no did, no it was ugly, ugly kid, kid joe, joe. <laughs> yeah but the reason the reason that I remember that is because Sacred Reich did a uh, a video where they made fun of a bunch of other bands' videos, and that was one of them. Nice. <laughs> oh Christ, I'm really dating myself now. MTV Sacred Reich. <laughs> <laughs> they had one really good song called Independent, and that was the video that they did this weird mock video with. Yeah, it was Headbangers Ball in 120 minutes. Otherwise, I pretty much ignored it. Sometimes I'd watch Alternative Nation. Oh, Liquid Television, too. I was a big fan. And, well, Beavis and Butthead. But we're not here to talk about that fucking network. My guitar player, or my usual guitar player, Aaron and I, uh, Beavis and Butthead was one of the things people would call us because we were often together. Uh, Somebody else called us Bert and Ernie. Drove me fucking crazy. (laughs) Anyway, and we were Darren and Aaron. So that even had that thing but that works better they should have just called you darren and aaron yeah darren and aaron trodden or the band that we were in the most often together was a one word and it didn't work as well as ramon 
Like, <laughs> you know, it's like Darren downtrodden. That doesn't sound good at all. And downtrodden Darren sounds like a shitty comic strip. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even worse than Dagwood and it doesn't even have a sandwich named after it. That's why he's so downtrodden. Yeah. Because he's constantly <laughs> comparing his life to Dagwood. He's like, God damn it, I stuck. I don't even have a Marmaduke. He's the he's the Milton of the Dagwood world. <laughs> I was I was told that I would have a sandwich. <laughs> I was told that if I became a comic book character, uh, a comic character, I would have a sandwich named after me. <laughs> That's my stapler. <laughs> right back to Mike Judge there. <laughs> yeah. Who was not on the long and short list for Supreme Court nominee. I was sort of guessing that since Trump likes to pick people he's seen on TV, that it would be Mike Judge, Judge Judy, Rico Dredd, or Judge Doom. <laughs> the other one that it could have been was Judge Reinhold. Yes. I, I saw him on the Arrested Development show. <laughs> Wait, Judge Reinhold was on Arrested Development? Yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> he played... There was... When they were doing mock trial... Well, it looks like we've got a mistrial. But on the plus side, we've also got a hung jury. All rise for acting's highest honor, Judge Reinhold. Judge Reinhold is neither a real judge nor has he received acting's highest honor. Okay, yes, because yeah. he does that. Yeah, he loves to do that play on his... Because he also did it in uh, Clark's The Animated Series. Yeah, I remember yeah. that now. It's been so long since I've watched the uh, the older series. I, I just kind of, you know, burned my way through and I didn't even pay attention to that mock trial. <laughs> mock trial, Judge Reinhold. <laughs> or maybe I'll find the theme song for that because I bet that wasn't it. But uh, <laughs> we're still relatively not off the rails. We have gone off on some tangents. We did, we did a solid like 30 to 35 minutes of talking about the movie and how it affected us. So, I mean, as far as your show goes, that's pretty good of staying on task oh yeah yeah I, <laughs> I do have a question for you actually related to the movie okay why do you think it took 20 years for that ship to be repaired it was like the guidance system thing that was underground was the whenever that ejected did that crash or something into the ground and it was so heavily damaged that christopher johnson had to excavate it and then repair it and then find the ways to fix it up like with the the tracking system and stuff or you think they basically were just trying to find fluid to power it because everything had been ransacked before he got the chance to repair it? I think it was a little bit of both. I'm sure it got damaged when it landed because uh, all the people that were talking in the faux documentary parts of the movie said that, you know, you see the thing falling down, but they looked for it and they couldn't find it anywhere. So where the shantytown was built, I'm only assuming that it's reflecting in real life it is built on top of a garbage dump so the ground wasn't completely solid so that crashed through they had to scrounge for parts because as you see when they're showing the city pretty much everywhere there's no aliens humans only very segregated refusal of service so i think they had to scrounge for all the parts and all the ingredients for the ninja turtle ooze <laughs> Well, okay, there's that, and then there's also how much of the alien tech have the humans been taking for their own purposes, and, you know, how much were they able to replace from what they could find from other parts, too? I mean, how damaged was the ship, or 
we don't really know. We're not really told that. We're just kind of assuming that for whatever reason, the ship was underground for 20 years and Christopher Johnson was building the ship. So does that make him like the ship's engineer, like the Scotty, or is he a pilot too? Or, you know, like, why does he know how to fly it? And why is he the one that has tasked himself with doing this? Or is he just the only one that has enough hope left? Because the rest of them seem to be super addicted to cat food and it's almost like they're their heroin that keeps them in check and keeps them to where they can be manipulated and controlled. Yeah, I, he definitely does stand out as a bit more intelligent. I think Vickis says that because he actually asks questions, you know, and they go straight from, oh, you're asking us questions about the legality of what we're doing. We're going to steal your child. Fuck you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, oh man, in this modern climate in our country, that really, really, really wrecked me. I had to stop the film for a moment. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, I had I had myself convinced that they were going to kill the kid. That's how long it had been since I'd seen the movie. I was like, did they kill the kid? Because I, I was probably just conflating it with earlier on when they burned down the shack full of eggs. And oh, and how gleefully he removes the stuff that keeps it alive so it'll just fucking starve to death or, or choke out. And then he goes, that's not very efficient. That's We have a better way of doing it. And then they just burn them all alive. That was horrific. The flamethrower <laughs> and the popcorn. Any jokes? Oh, yeah, it's so atrocious. And just watching it in this climate just makes you even more disgusted. I mean, I never liked Vickis, but I feel like I have a extra level of rage at him and the type of person he is. Because he pretended loosely that he was only doing his job, but every chance he got, his racism came out he started showing how happy it was how happy he was to exert a power that he doesn't know in his real life you can't really come back from murdering i mean even though they're not authorized like who who are they to tell a race of beings that they can't procreate you know like <laughs> that's just horrific and i imagine that that has a lot to do with directly with apartheid where they wouldn't allow people to have children you know i'm, I'm sure that was a thing that happened there you know, with this kind of stuff, I wouldn't doubt it. Human beings are infinitely cruel to each other. But like, as much as I'm pro-abortion, I also want, you know, I'm more pro-choice about it where I want people to be able to choose whether or not to have a child. You know, I don't think they should be forced to have all of their children murdered. And most certainly someone else shouldn't get the decision just to murder all of these children like that, you know? Yeah, arrest as much the as parents and kill the children. Yeah, as much as I dislike children, like even I can't get behind that. It's pretty atrocious. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's next level. What the fuck? Yeah, it's horrific. It's it, that scene really kind of he does that. And then you see a live child where he's like, do you have a license for that? It's like it's a fucking child, man. <laughs> There's no permit needed for life. Come on. Now, granted, they are aliens, but we have to dehumanize you. Delegitimize your existence. It's a sentient being. They clearly are thinking they're feeling they can express themselves. They know enough to know their language to where they can communicate with them, yet they don't even bother to try and understand them in any way, other, uh, any way, shape, or form other than you look like cockroaches to us. You remind us of horrible things that scare us and frighten us. You have this weaponry that can easily destroy us. So we need to delegitimize you. We need to break you down and make you less than beings. And make it to where it's okay for us to do the horrible things we're about to do to get rid of you because we're terrified of you. I mean, that sums up apartheid so beautifully as well. We're going to move you to a tent city. 
far away from <laughs> us. We won't let you leave. And even though you're not, you've never tried to attack us, you're dangerous. And oh, he, Jesus. He, Wouldn't those aliens first show up with the weaponry that they have? If they could have at least gotten somewhat, that's another thing about apartheid. If they could have just gotten organized in some way, shape or form, there was enough of them or there were more than enough of them. And all of this amazing weaponry that they have and all these things that they can do to where all it would take is for them just to like, if Christopher Johnson wasn't so benevolent and actually like got them together and created a plan, they could have overthrown the planet and we could have been subjugated like planet of the apes style. That glee, like the head mercenary, I can't remember his fucking name, but when he's killing people left and right, laughing and joking about it. And at one point he says, I can't believe I get, I get paid to do this. Yeah, where he's trying to cr uh, he's trying to choke Christopher Johnson to death while he's interrogating him, like he's basically ready to kill him there. And he does say that I can't believe I get paid to do this as he's basically preparing to kill him before that gets interrupted by the ship launching. It's just disgusting. Like if you ever needed a reason to hate humanity and you didn't look at the things that humanity has actually done throughout our history, and you have no other way of figuring out what the fuck is wrong with us, that's where art and films come in. When you see a representation of it here, and even though it's thinly veiled to those of us that know enough about apartheid and what took place in South Africa, I mean, like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert. I really am not. I know just enough to know that shit was horrible and a lot of people were killed and oppressed. You know, like, like that's pretty much the breadth of my knowledge. I don't know every single aspect of it, but I know it was an ongoing thing. And this film still, you know, I could tell exactly what they were talking about without even really trying that it was all about apartheid in South Africa. But like, say somebody who doesn't know anything about that and they see this film and then they're horrified about what happens with the aliens because they can get a, you know, they have this whole underdog plight that, you know, it gets rid of somewhat of their preconceived notions against people of a different color because it's an alien race. Instead, they can kind of get them thinking. And then if they were to be told that this was something that actually happened where human beings treated other human beings, maybe they could equate those feelings and learn something. I don't know. I have no hope for us anymore after everything that's happening in this nation. It's disgusting, man. Like, you never thought, like, in our lifetimes as a kid, you never thought Nazis were going to be a thing that they were going to come back. Neo-Nazis and the new movement of racism and that kind of thing where they're, you know, going to rise again or any of that kind of horseshit. You never thought it was actually going to happen. And then it fucking does. And there's no point in even trying to pretend like that's not what this administration and Stephen Miller, who penned this idea to do the child separations. I mean, these are fucking concentration camps, and it's on American soil, and it's horrific, and it's a black mark on our society, and I don't even know if we will ever come back from this. And it's just getting started. It's only going to get fucking worse. <laughs> it's just horrific. And watching this movie with that lens and that thought in, my in, you know, in the back of my mind just makes it that much more effective and that much more horrifying. Was that my Frank Croft moment for the episode? It felt like it. I, I think it. I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, you know, Stephen. Yes, yeah, and Stephen Miller said it was a simple choice. Grandson of asylum-seeking immigrants, and it's a simple choice. It's so disgusting, and I'm so ashamed of living in this nation right now because of this. It's just so fucking horrific, and I. I I got to the point where like Matt and I don't even talk about it on our show. I mean, we've talked about it off air but we're not even bringing it up because there's no way to talk around it there's no way to to deal with it it's just so fucking horrific and i even said that to my wife i'm so ashamed of living here and i'm so ashamed of being an american with this going on and you just want to do anything you can like 
<laughs> anything you can, anything you want to stop this. And I, I get a lot of hope from seeing just as many people outraged. Like it's, you know, there's even actual, you know, people that probably, at least in my family anyway, that normally wouldn't care about how immigrants are being treated are disgusted by this and are realizing what's going on. And it has had a turnaround for a few of them to where they're like, holy shit, I can't support this. I can't support what this president is doing. So there's at least that there's, you know, it's definitely a monumental and epic fuck up. Um, and, but at the same time, you're also able to see the toxic people in your life that you totally need to get rid of because anyone who agrees with these kind of actions, anyone who agrees with what happens in this film even if it is an actual alien race, you know, is anyone who agrees with that and thinks that it's a good idea, you need to get them out of your life and maybe even take theirs. They shouldn't exist. And people, people who agree with what's happening right now and think that it's a fucking good thing, you don't even deserve the flesh you're printed on, man. That's not even fucking human. You know, it's not Nazi Germany. It's not fucking Rwanda, man. This is the United States of America. This is not something that we should be doing and it's so fucking horrific and disgusting and i'm just so ashamed of us man i am so ashamed of what we're doing i read this today and it sort of gave me a tiny glimmer of hope because i am still technically an optimist but it's it's fucking hard man it's deafening the screams of all kinds of pain that are being inflicted on the disenfranchised and the disadvantaged right now. And it's it's definitely not a new thing to America, but it's something that America says we're better than. And we should not have ever done it when we interned the Japanese. We should not have done the things that we did whenever the Native Americans were treated the way that they were after all of the wars were over and they just got shipped to all these different areas. It's all the same shit. This is shamefully who we kind of have always been. But at some point we thought we were better than, but so gleefully and so easily ICE agents doing the things that they do. And if you've heard any of the recordings of them joking while they're doing it, it's exactly like what's happening whenever the fucking soldiers are moving around the aliens in this movie. Seeing that in the film this time after knowing that that stuff exists and and seeing what some of these ICE agents were doing and joking about. Like, the one that really fucking really pisses me off is when the guy said Happy Mother's Day to a lady after he ripped her child away from her. I just want something really horrible to happen to that man. And I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in karma. I don't believe in any otherworldly force that guides our life or controls it in any way, shape, or form. So it's even harder for me because I know that there probably won't be repercussions for any of these people. But for fuck's sakes, a lot of the shit that's going on here, once this is all said and done, there deserves to be some fucking Nuremberg level of retribution for these people. Yeah. It, names names need to be drawn and trials need to be done. These are fucking war crimes. I'm not even going to mince words. It's fucking disgusting, dude. <laughs> you picked this movie. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And I think I, part of exacting change or whatever is talking about it well if one if one person listening to this one person even thinks about the things that we've said here and does a little bit more work than just kind of casually looking at the news as it's brought to them by corporations that are now controlling it like sinclair broadcasting and they dig a little deeper they do a little research maybe they get on the bbc website or Reuters or someplace that's less controlled by these fucks 
and they find some of these recordings and they aren't moved in, and you know maybe it moves them in enough way she performed that they start doing something i mean you got to have at least a voice you have to just stand up and say fuck this i mean this is not a hard demarcation line to to put your foot down and say stop separating families stop putting people in concentration camps for what equates to trespassing i mean that's basically what the law is i mean at worst it's trespassing to come in here illegally yeah it's a misdemeanor it's it's like yeah it's and then the fucking racist fucks were like well we don't keep families together when we send people to jail for a crime it's like well fuck you <laughs> that is okay. such a false equivalency yeah it's fucking disgusting and it's not a hard line to cross where you know you separate families for misdemeanors like this and keep them separated whenever they're all being detained for unlimited amounts of time where you're literally getting in making fucking concentration camps let's not mince words these are concentration camps for our brethren to the south of us who are coming through from central america south america mexico wherever they're coming from fleeing a war-torn nation you know trying to get here thinking that they're going to be safe and then the thing that they fear the most if they're running from ms-13 trying to take their kid to bring him and induct him into their fucking gang and then what do they do when they get here to america their fucking child gets taken from them anyway and then lost <laughs> it's so fucking disgusting george takei wrote uh article i think i read it in time but the headline was at least in the internment camps they didn't take me away from my parents and it was a brutal read it's it's just yeah it's fucking shameful dude and it's there's people still alive that were punished the last time by ignorant fucking afraid american government that can speak to this and they're relatively being ignored and that's fucking alt-right gargamel and steve bannon and fucking john bolton and fucking trump and it's yeah i fucking picked this movie because <laughs> if i'm gonna be miserable and crying all the time <laughs> so should your fucking audience <laughs> yes but i know we're not in mass in the streets but it's starting to happen america is as big as a bunch of countries i mean ohio is the same size or bigger than scotland it's you know it's more spread out but i'm slightly hopeful that i'm seeing mass protests people are shutting down ice offices there was a big protest portland right yeah there was one in portland and in washington about 600 protesters were arrested at the one in washington and there was a woman that spoke there. She's a Sikh act. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Sikh. Sounds right. That's how I've heard it pronounced, but uh, okay. what do I know? <laughs> Valerie Kaur, she's a Sikh activist and she spoke at the DC rally before everybody got arrested. But this, I, I just wanted to read this because I had it on, on hand today. And it, I don't know. I do a lot of complaining and a lot of, there's a lot of rage and this sort of little bit of flicker of hope in me. And so she said, what if this darkness is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb? What if America is not dead, but a country that is waiting to be born? What if the story of America is one long labor? What if all our grandfathers and grandmothers are standing behind us now, those who survived occupation and genocide, slavery and Jim Crow, detentions and political assault? What if they're whispering in our ears, you are brave? 
What if this is our nation's greatest transition? What does the midwife tell us to do? Breathe and then push. I don't know. That made me tingly. <laughs> all the articles, of, well, not all the articles. So many articles I read about that protest and the arrest were Susan Sarandon gets arrested at, at protest. And I only found one article that had that quote in it. And that's more important than Susan Sarandon. It's still getting a lot less coverage because a lot less people know about the show than know about Susan Sarandon. <laughs> uh, I know people aren't yelling at me like they are at Susan Sarandon because she voted for Jill Stein. Um, <laughs> well, the important thing is this speech that you just read, which was does give hope, does make you feel like maybe this is the case. And that's something that I had said earlier before, and I'm not going to lie, before I gave up hope. <laughs> um, because this the internment camps, the concentration camps on American soil, again, for trespassing, it, it broke me for the longest time. And that speech gives me some hope because it's something that was similar to what I had been saying to some people when they had given up hope, where I'm like, you're not necessarily witnessing the rebirth or the control that's being taken by racist bigots, people full of hate and, you know, want to control and diminish rights. You're not seeing the rebirth and the resurgence of them. What I was hoping is you're seeing the last gasp of a bunch of dying old men who are afraid to lose the grasp of the world that they had. And this is their last shot and they're throwing everything they have at it. And, we let it happen on our watch, but maybe this will motivate people enough to not let it happen again. And I feel a lot of what I was trying to say is spoken way more eloquently in her speech. And it is that moment where everyone who's gone before us and has gone through the exact same things, just like she said, that we're dealing with now on whatever scale, you know, whether it was the Trail of Tears or the Japanese internment camps. Jim Crow, slavery, all the horrible things that this country has done. You know, we can rise above it. We can do better. We can be better. When this experiment in democracy works, it is so beautiful. But man, when it fails miserably like it is right now and when power is left unchecked like it is right now, it's horrific. And everything that's being done and you feel like we may not come back from this. You feel like whatever once was America isn't going to exist after this is over with. I don't know. You know, some people were even talking about how we may have another civil war on our hands where some people are believing that I certainly hope it doesn't get that big, but you know, if this shit doesn't stop, if there's not some way to get this put into check in some way, shape or form, if these alt-right assholes are left to control the administration of the white house and we don't get rid of Stephen Miller, we don't get rid of the influence of Bannon and we can't get rid of Trump and it continues to happen. It feels like something like that's going to happen. And it feels like this country's going to explode around us, man. If that doesn't happen, maybe it's time for it to die. Yeah. And maybe we'll be reborn into something brand new, something more beautiful and something much better than what it was. It feels like we're on the cusp of a major change and I hope it's for the better. I hope we are being born into what we were always meant to be. And this is just the growing pains of, coming out of that darkness i hope that speech is right i hope i hope she's right i just you know i feel the hope whenever i hear those words but the more i get back into my own head and all the negative pessimism comes back through i start feeling that there isn't that hope for us <laughs> it's too soon to tell things are wobbly right now 
you know, we'll obviously know a little bit more in November. Or sooner if the investigations start coming through uh, and, you know, doing more of what they're supposed to be doing. But Mueller and his group sure seems to be taking their sweet motherfucking time. <laughs> that is true. I've got the Monty Python, get on with it, just <laughs> playing in my head whenever I read about this. And I think we've had a good conversation tonight. And I think it is probably time, unless you've got anything that you want to add, it's time for you to let the wonderful listeners who are not yet in the know where to find you and your stuff. And then I thought maybe we'll try something out. I've come up with a possible rating system. And since you're my first ever guest, I thought I would try it out with you first. All right, well, let's do the rating system, and then I'll pimp my shit, so you can cut around that if you want. Okay, so uh, this is a work in progress, but it is send it to the Hague, which is I fucking hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Lame Duck, which is, you know, less influence in your successor. There's already a movie that does it better. You know, that's those are the two lower points. This is a four-point system. So, okay, send it to the Hague. Lame duck, four more years, or president for life? <laughs> I don't ever want a president for life, but if I have to give that out as a rating for my fifth star, as in I really love it, I'm going to give it five. I love this film, so yeah, I'll give it a president for life. <laughs> That's, I need to find a better one for that, but yeah, that basically means you don't see this movie getting old. No, it's if anything, it gets more powerful the more I watch it and the more I grow as a human being. You know, just in the 10 some odd years since the first time that I watched it, even I would say seven or eight or whatever, since I bought the Blu-ray for the first time and watched it, it gets more powerful. I see more and more in the film. You learn so much about the culture of these aliens and who they are, even though you only get to see it in the lens of what little bits and baubles of their, you know, their technology and everything. So, yeah, it totally is a president for life, if you want to call it that. <laughs> That's um, until you come up with something you like better than that. A president for life. I would also give it president for life. I like this movie more every time I see it. As long as it doesn't develop a tone tone Makut like baby doc Duvalier and Haiti did when he was a horrible person. Speaking of dictators. Oh, Jesus. We didn't even talk about Pol Pot. You want to talk about atrocities against his own people? Yeah, we're disgusting. Our propensity for evil towards ourselves is rotten. Anyway. <laughs> on a happier note that we were almost on, President for Life for this movie. Yep, President for Life for this movie. And speaking of medical experiments, tell us about Cinema Psyops. <laughs> well, I would hope that everybody that listens to this show, since they find it on the Legion Podcast Network, would already know about my show. But just in the offset chance that they got it specifically for District 9 and they don't know either of our shows, you can find us all on the Legion Podcast Network. For my show, Cinema Psyops, it's legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema psyops we that's our main landing page where you can get all of our episodes as of the time that this will be released we are in our way we are on our way to doing our full third year finish up with a full franchise fest of death wish the first episode of that being our episode 150 that's 150 weeks of content being released every week straight we did not miss a beat for that once this is released so that's something that we felt we should celebrate and we're really happy to have all the participation that we did from our listeners for that 150th episode and we continue we're going to go through and try and do it for four years straight 
and see if we can get past 200 episodes of 200 straight weeks without missing a week. I mean, there's a few episodes we did, maybe not on our exact release date where it was a day or two late due to unforeseen circumstances, but we always had something out for you every week, even if it was a day or two late. <laughs> and that's that's not easy. <laughs> that is admirable. I don't know how you fucking do it. I, I'm still a every other week kind of guy for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned lessons from Bill by Force and outside the cinema, and they've been doing it for over 10 years now, I think is what they've, they've hit their marker. They're on nine or something along those lines. It's ridiculous. They're in like nearly 700 episodes or something like that. And even though he's re-released episodes, you know, or something like that, whenever something happens and they can't get an episode recorded, even though he's done that before in the past, they always have content released for you every week. They will never miss a beat. You know, they will always have something out until they finally call it quits and just decide that they're done. They're going to keep doing that because that's the way Bill is. And whenever he did a manifesto years ago about, you know, how you should do podcasting. And that was one of the things where he's like, put something out every week and don't miss a week, you know, or, or make a schedule and stick to it. But mostly he was pushing do it one every week, you know, because it is feasible no matter how much work you put into it. Even if you were editing it for seven, eight, nine, ten, as many as 14 <laughs> hours a week like I've done before, you know, where basically every night you're working on it. You can still put something out every week. It is possible to do. just depends upon how hard you want to work on it. Uh, we also do, uh, or I have another show, Obsessive Cinema Discourse. That one's more loose, and it's just three podcasting buddies from exact opposite parts of the globe. I don't think we could get any further spaced out on the globe than what we are right now, unless one of us is in Antarctica or, <laughs> or, or the Arctic Circle, you know, in the very part of the North Pole with Santa or some shit. But uh, it's... My bromance, Boz in England, and my main man from Down Under the Witch, we do the Obsessive Cinema Discourse. We were shooting for every month, and then it became kind of quarterly as life kind of got in our way. And it's more or less, we try and get an episode whenever the next person that's scheduled to be their pick and their editing choice. You know, whoever picks the movie has to do the editing, and we cycle it off. So each of us gets four movies a year if we keep it up at, you know, <laughs> one a month or whatever. And, uh, that is also available on Legion Podcast Network. I don't know the direct line feed for that. I don't have that memorized because I haven't said it as much. <laughs> but if you go to legionpodcast.com, click on the podcast tab, Obsessive Cinema Discourse, super easy to find. And if you also just search the Googles for Obsessive Cinema Discourse, we should come up at this point as well. That show's a lot more loose. It's a lot more fun. It's just three guys nitpicking and finding every single tiny little detail about a movie that most people notice whenever they look at, but it doesn't bug them, but we can't let it go. And then also just kind of picking it apart and asking a bunch of questions about why did they make this choice? What does this represent? And then making all sorts of jokes about various things that normally <laughs> other people wouldn't really think about or worry about. Um, the last one that we just did was my pick, which was Sugar Hill. And I'm very proud of how that turned out, not just because it was my pick and how I edited it. I just really think we had a great conversation that was uh, one of our better ones that we've done, and I really, really dug recording it as it was happening. Hell yeah. Loose show about nitpicking. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, it feels a lot more loose than it actually is. But I mean, if you think about it, the three of us record our voices all separately. And then whoever has to do the editing for that show, it gets sent to them. Then they have to put them all together and sync them all up and then edit them out. And so we basically get the recording of what it sounds like in the room using the equipment of each individual person. And then after that gets assembled and edited down, then music gets laid over top of it. 
So the actual production of the show is quite nitpicky and obsessive, but when the three of us get together and record, it's just us bullshitting and then the poor bastard <laughs> that the poor bastard that gets the result of that has to do all the editing and somehow make a show out of that. And because we all are editors on our primary shows, we all like to screw each other up. <laughs> so, so that loose feeling is us screwing each other up. <laughs> you gotta have fun. I would certainly hope so, yeah. We have a ton of fun recording it, and I think they're a ton of fun to listen to as well. Um, I hope that that kind of translates over. I hope that people have fun listening to it. I'm very proud of that show as well. It's just not one that we push very much because it's more for us, and we just hope people like it too, you know? <laughs> I really like it. That's why every time one of you is on here, I make you talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. usually all kind of don't bring it up until I do. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it, it's just like a fun little like way. It's an excuse for the three of us to get together and bullshit. I think, you know, and it's uh, it it was really interesting the way that it ended up. I don't know if I've ever told that story, but the way that OCD ended up coming about, I got two different messages on Facebook Messenger, one from the witch and then one from Boz, where they're both like, "Hey, we should do a side show," <laughs> and they they came in within about four hours of each other, depending upon which person was getting up for work. Or, you know, just about ready to go to bed for the night, depending upon, you know, which time frame that was at. But it was in four hours of each other. And I took a snapshot of each of them and sent them to the other person and then made a group chat. And then, boom, OCD kind of came out of that. It's like starting a band. <laughs> yeah, it, you, you, that's, it's exactly like that, where you meet these people, you find out that you have a similar interest, you find out that you do some of the same things, and this timeline sort of grows together and these things sort of happen where you just form your band or you form a show and you just kind of do it until you're done with it. And then it either becomes something or just disappears into the ether. I have so many bands and so many songs that were created that no one will ever really hear other than the times that we played them live or if I dig up the tapes that I may have recorded or something like that. But it doesn't exist anymore, but it's this timeline that grows together. And I have friendships that have lasted out of some of those that will probably go on for the rest of my life. You know, and then there's others I have enemies that I probably will never forgive for the rest of my life, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have to tell you that. I'm sure you've lived that, too. Yes, sir. It is good to focus on on the positives and the good connectivity that we can use for our technology that we don't have to have alien technology to use. <laughs> and that's a good sentiment to go out on. That was District 9. <laughs> <laughs> we can be better than this. Especially yeah. if alien life comes from another planet. That's the main thing to take away from it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's when, you know how you used to do that. Don't let them take you to another location. Mm -hmm. um, cover all of that. That's your next one. We can do better than this. <laughs> we can do better than this. So until next time, thank you, Court. We can be better than this. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>
Treat me like 